Last week, I was introduced to the Dr. Phil question. Actually, I'd heard the question plenty of times, but I didn't know it came from Dr. Phil because I've never watched Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil is a TV psychologist. You probably all knew that. And he poses this question to anyone who's attempting to solve a problem in a way that has failed in the past. So how's that working for you? I overheard this conversation in a grocery store, for example. The checker said to the bagger, you ran out of gas again? The bagger said, yeah, can you believe it? I always wait to the last minute to fill my gas tank. And the checker said, so how's that working for you? (laughs) It's a lighthearted way of telling someone he needs to change the way he does things. Today we hear from the prophet Jeremiah, who also tells folks that they need to change, but he is the opposite of lighthearted, which might be why people tend to avoid the prophets. The prophets weren't fortune tellers. They were ordinary people who spoke for God. They spoke up for the future that God wants for us. The phrase that some writers use to describe the biblical prophets is that they spoke truth to power. That is neither easy nor safe. It wasn't then and it isn't today. And in many ways, the prophets are the most contemporary of the biblical writers. They deal with the very same themes that hang like a cloud over us still today. The silence of God, economic disparity, injustice, war, and the unrelieved suffering that afflicts our world. These aren't things people want to hear about, much of the time, so the prophets needed to grab people's attention. Author Flannery O'Connor once wrote in defense of her sometimes over-the-top fiction, to the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you draw large and startling figures. That's why it isn't surprising that Jeremiah startles us this morning by telling us that God is making a plan to destroy the people, the very people that God loves, because they have forgotten the future that God wants for them. Just a little bit of background on Jeremiah. Things began to fall apart when the kingdom ruled by King David split in two after the reign of Solomon, David's son. Israel was the northern kingdom, Judah the southern kingdom. Eventually, Israel was conquered by Assyria, and Jeremiah lived and worked over a hundred years later during the last years of the kingdom of Judah. Judah had formed alliances with the surrounding imperial powers, thinking that would protect them from suffering the same fate as Israel. God's people had yielded to the temptation that persists for people today. They trusted their own abilities to create a secure and prosperous society, but in the process, they turned their backs on the morality, the truth, and the justice that were central to faith in the God of Israel. Jeremiah could see the connection between the nation's political crisis and the nation's moral failings. Dr. Phil might have asked, so how's that working for you? Because it wasn't working. Judah was invaded by Babylon. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and the leaders were taken into exile. 
Instead of asking the Dr. Phil question, Jeremiah uses the analogy of a potter. As Jeremiah watched a potter working at a wheel, something went wrong with the pot. Maybe it collapsed, maybe the potter just wasn't satisfied with it, so the potter began to rework the clay into another vessel. Jeremiah got the message. God said, I can do with people what the potter does with clay. I can put my loving hands on anyone and everything and shape every one of you into people of hope and peace, of justice and love. I can rework you as many times as it takes to get it right. Jeremiah believed that things fell apart for Judah because God planned it that way. But he also makes it clear that what God actually intends is what we would call tough love. God doesn't protect us from the consequences of our own decisions, our own actions. God doesn't bail us out when we make bad choices. We know God isn't planning destruction and disaster, not only because that isn't what God does, but also because here in this passage, God makes it abundantly clear that this is about what the people chose. The people chose this scary future. It was the consequence of their actions. They chose to be shaped by other things, by forces and influences other than God. It's the same today, the same for us. If we choose not to be shaped by God, we will still be shaped. We'll be shaped by our culture, or advertising, by television, our peers, by the values and priorities that people today believe will make us secure and prosperous. How's that working for us? But... But, says God, people can always choose another future. We can make the choice that is the life of faith, to live on the potter's wheel and let God shape us into God's people. As a hymn in our hymnal puts it, our prayer might be, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. In 42 the movie about baseball player Jackie Robinson. There's a scene in which Robinson's team, the Brooklyn Dodgers, plays the Cincinnati Reds. A boy of about nine or ten is at the ball game with his dad. As they wait for the players to take the field, the boy and his dad are talking about how excited they are, how excited the boy in particular is to see his hero, Dodgers shortstop Pee Wee Reese. Then the Dodgers run onto the field. The people in the stands, including the boy's father, begin hurling the ugliest insults and racial epithets at Jackie Robinson that you can imagine. The boy looks at his dad. He looks at the people all around him, and he starts yelling racial slurs as well. He's being shaped. He's being formed by the racist culture in which he lives. But then Pee Wee Reese does something remarkable, and this is a true story. He walks over and puts his arm around Robinson, and he just stands there for a few minutes, just stands there with his arm around the black man. And the camera moves back to the boy, who looks at his dad, and then he looks at his hero, Pee Wee Reese, 
and you can tell from his face that he's not sure what to think or do. Now he has to choose. Will he be reshaped, reworked by God through the witness of Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson? We are left to wonder, what future will this boy choose? Every one of us is shaped by our culture and our families and things that happen to us in ways that don't lead to the bright future of hope and peace and justice and love and healing that God wants for us. There are times when we all need to ask ourselves the Dr. Phil question, how's that working for me? How's the way I'm in relationship with other people working out? How's the way that I work too much or the way I ignore my health or the way I spend my money working out? These aren't easy questions. They take some thoughtful prayer. But God promises to reshape us, to rework the clay as many times as it takes. And in speaking to an entire nation, Jeremiah points to the truth that people of faith never just ask how something is working out for them personally alone. Our individual choices impact the rest of God's people and God's world. I'm reading a book right now called Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. It's a good title, I think. (laughs) It describes the story of modern living that has shaped our economy and our view of our planet and our lives for many decades now. The The story that has shaped us so much has five core assumptions. Economic growth is essential for prosperity, Nature is a commodity to be used for human purposes. Promoting more consumption is good for the economy. The central value of our lives is getting ahead. And the problems of other people and other nations and other species are not really our concern. So how's that working out for us? What is the future that this story holds for us? Do we really want to live with the consequences of being shaped by that story? Or will we let God, the potter, rework us? Rework us with renewed emphasis on stewardship of God's good creation, on care for the poor and justice for the downtrodden. And of course, the church too is in need of continual reshaping on the potter's wheel. During my sabbatical, I witnessed a wonderful story of God's long and patient reworking of the clay of a Christian community. In 563 AD, a Celtic Christian missionary named Columba landed on the small island of Iona off the coast of Scotland. He established a monastery there and it became a beacon of faith for Northern Europe, surviving hundreds of years of pilgrims, Viking raids, and changes in leadership. The Benedictines took over in 1200 and built the church that stands on Iona today, but it was abandoned during the Reformation and it fell into ruin. In 1938, a Church of Scotland minister, that means Presbyterian, a Church of Scotland minister named George MacLeod was serving in the poorest, most depressed part of Glasgow. MacLeod was something of a character. He would ask nearly everyone he met on the street in Scotland, are you a Presbyterian or a Christian? (laughs) Or he would say, 
Why do Presbyterian ministers speak longer than other men? And then he would give the answer. They don't. It just seems longer. (laughs) But in addition to being a character, he was a visionary. He was a prophet. He taught that we should look for God not away from the material world in some spiritual realm, but more deeply in the life of the world. He liked to say, matter matters. One of his favorite stories was that of a boy who threw a stone through a stained glass window, nicking out the letter E in the phrase, glory to God in the highest, so that it read, glory to God in the high street. High street is the English equivalent of main street. So that, said MacLeod, is how it should have been left, or perhaps with a swiveling panel for the letter E so that it could say both. McLeod had a vision for a new kind of community. He brought together unemployed Glasgow craftsmen and ministers in training to work on rebuilding the ancient Iona Abbey. This provided work for the craftsmen, and it helped prepare young ministers for their work in deprived inner-city areas. But it wasn't just a construction project. The craftsmen and the clergy shared a common life, by working and living together, sharing skills and effort, as well as joys and achievement. The experience shaped and continues to shape the practice and principles of what became the Iona community. The community McLeod formed focuses on justice, peace, and the environment, poverty and social exclusion, overcoming racism, and ecumenical and interfaith relations. It's still a place where you experience worship and work in community. If you stay at the Abbey, as I did last May, you share daily worship and meals, and you're assigned chores. Every day, I set up and cleaned up for dinner, and I cleaned the two showers in the Abbot's house. The Iona story inspires and challenges me. It inspires me with the long stretch of Christian history. The church has survived in one form or another for 2,000 years, and God has kept God's promise to rework the clay again and again. We don't know what that form will be. It is in God's hands. And it challenges me to keep asking the Dr. Phil question. So how is this working for us? How is what we are doing living into the future that God imagines for us? How can we choose to respond in fresh ways, visionary ways, to God's call to us? Today we celebrate what we call homecoming. After a summer of rest, the activities of the church crank up in full gear for the fall. A couple of weeks ago, a church member told me about a letter her great-grandfather had sent from Germany to his daughter in Texas. He'd sent the family ahead to the United States to make a new home, to build a new life, and he had planned to join them later, but it didn't work out that way because of his health, and to his deep sadness, he had to stay in Germany. In his poignant letter, He encouraged his daughter not to forget her faith, 
to stand with Jesus as her hope and her guide and her center. So far from him, surrounded by so many things different from the life that they'd known, with so many challenges and pressures working to shape his family, he wanted them to remember that one thing stays the same. One thing does not change across the miles, across the ocean, across the years. One place remains our home. Whatever changes, the culture blows our way. And that is the love of God in Christ that continues to rework us, to form us into a people at one with God, with God's earth, and with one another. May it be so for you and for me. Amen and welcome home.